Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This word in your ear is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. And VPN stands for what, Mark Hillen? I'm here to tell you it's Virtual Private Network. Say it again. Virtual, that's Virtual Private Network. And that is a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in either at home or probably even more applicably abroad. Uh, VPN protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity. And at the same time, there's a fun part. It enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50 different countries and that means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. And I was actually doing this this week, Mark, uh, when the sad news came through of the death of Bernard Cribbins. And I felt there was only one way I could possibly uh, pay tribute to the great man, of, w- of whom more later, and which was by looking at Swedish Netflix, where they have a wonderful oh, good. cache of great black-and-white British comedy films from the 50s and 60s. And what I watched was Two-Way Stretch, once again. A two-way stretch. For those who don't know, it opens. Just just to talk about the opening for a second. It's in a prison, and sharing a cell, you have Peter Sellers playing Dodger Lane. Dodger Lane. David Lodge playing Jelly Jelly Knight. Jelly (laughs) Knight. It's so good, isn't it? And finally, the great, the much-loved Bernard Cribbins uh, playing... Play Lenny, Lenny the Dip Price. Lenny the oh, Dip Price. I was six when this came out. We went to see it in Aldish, the Aldershot Odeon. God, I remember it. And it opens with uh, the wall of the prison and a horse and cart are coming down. A milkman is driving a horse and cart below the prison walls. And when he gets under the cell, he whistles up. And they send down from the cell a basket on a rope. And into the basket, he places the day's provisions, which are, of course, bread, eggs, a copy of the Investor's Chronicle for Peter Sellers, <laughs> and, and finally the milk. You know, yeah. they haul it yeah. up. 
And, and there's the great Bernard Cribbins hauling it through the window with his wonderful, sad face. God, he had a wonderful, sad face. It is. Face. It can look lugubrious, can't it? it can Absolutely. Look. And what does he say? He looks in the contents of the basket and goes, they've, they've sent ordinary milk again. They know we have gold top. <laughs> Is that blissful? You know? so and the whole film is like that. That film, that film, for anybody who hasn't seen it, the, 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 the plot very simply is that they're in jail and they plan to break out of jail, uh, carry out a, a, a felony, a theft, and then break back into jail because then they'll have the perfect alibi that they didn't do it because they're in jail the whole time. Genius. It's, it's That's genius. genius. I really handle Beryl Reed. There is not a second of that film that isn't genius. It's it, so don't good. talk to me about The Godfather. Don't no. talk to me about Last Year in Marion Bad, all that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Don't even talk to me about Citizen Kane. Two-way stretch. Two-way stretch. I, I, will I, not disappoint I, It will absolutely Every not disappoint syllable. So there it was on Swedish Netflix. So anyway, back to NordVPN. You can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free. And also a bonus gift. And it's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details in the show notes below. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. We're going to start with the Stackwaddy game, which is actually supplied by listener Paul Jackson. And uh, we're going to see how this works, because he sent some clues to me to put to you, Mark. And he, he sent, sent some to me to put to you. you. There you so go. I'll go first. Well. I'll go first. And so these are, okay, five film stars who have made albums, not soundtracks or cast recordings. They've actually made albums. But one of them... Is uh, fictitious. Okay, you ready? Uh, you mean it, uh, the, it's a fictitious film star? Or well, no, one, one of them has made made album. Yeah, okay. yeah. So here we go. Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Joe Pesci. Yep. Judy Dench. <laughs> That's unimaginable, Judy Dench. Go on. Hugh Laurie. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson. Robert Downey Jr., Joe Pesci, Judy Dench, Hugh Laurie, and Scarlett Johansson. That's, which of that's those, good. Which of those has not made an album? God, well, Hugh Laurie obviously has, because I've seen him. I saw him and his blues band playing at the Latitude Festival, I think it was. Once. He it was made, a a record, made a record quite not long ago. Yeah, called, I thought that, that, that was quite talk, good. Let them talk, wasn't it? Yeah. Let them talk. Scarlett Johansson, I suspect, has, because I know she sings... She's made, um, she's made two. She's, she's made, two. made two. She's made yes. two. Okay. Um, so we've got three left. Judy Dench. <laughs> that is unimaginable, isn't it? Judy Dench, what would it be? It would be kind of old uh, be old folk tunes or something. I don't know. I, I'll come back to her. Robert Downey Jr. I think will have done because he's just a bit rock and roll, isn't he? And there's... I think he might have a few tattoos and he probably fancies himself uh, with, a, with a telecaster. So <laughs> I'm be, saying he just has. Joe Pesky, Pesky, I, I, uh, Pesci, rather, I, I, it's between the two, isn't it? I'm saying Judy Dench hasn't. 
Yeah, you'll be absolutely oh, correct. Oh, right, okay. Because Robert, okay. Robert Downey Jr. made an album called The Futurist. Joe Pesci has made three. Oh, my God, you're um, kidding. Yeah, I think because he is, I think he's a proper singer, actually. He, oh, right. He's one of those guys, he's a sort of all-round entertainer, Joe Pesci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a record called Little Joe Sure Can Sing and uh, and one called Vincent LaGuardia Vambino Sings Just For You, and there's another one as well. I can't remember what the third one's called. Uh, so Hugh Laurie, yeah, Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Joe Pesci. But Judy Dench, although she will have featured on loads of kind of soundtrack albums, cast recordings and so forth, Nothing in her own right. Nothing so you, in her own you right. win on that one. Oh, okay, well, over good. to you. Okay. Well, Paul sent me one for you too. And this was musicians who've starred in movies, but not as themselves or as unnamed cameos. And one of these is a ringer. One of them didn't. So which of these musicians has not appeared in a film uh, as either themselves or, or an unnamed cameo? Keith Richards, Kenny Rogers, Britney Spears, Cher, David Lee Roth. Well, Cher definitely has. Cher loads, yes. Sorry, Keith Richards, Cher... Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers, yes. Kenny Rogers has appeared in Britney Spears. Kenny Uh, Rogers has. Yeah, sure. He appeared as Brewster Baker in Six Pack. Yes. And the pilot in Long Shot... I'll check this. Keith Richards Richards is in the Pirates of the Caribbean film. He is. You know, I thought that was the ring because I thought he appeared as himself. But no, he just he's there kind of completely ripping off as far as I can see the Johnny Depp look. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, he's Captain Teague in uh, At World's End and Stranger Tides. So I'm going to say the one who hasn't is Britney Spears. No, Britney Spears has. No, Britney Spears has appeared in a couple of TV movie oh, series right. things. Okay, on. One as Abby in How I Met Your Mother, and she was in an episode of Will and Grace as Amber Louise. No, the ringer is David Lee Roth, who apparently played himself uh, in an episode of The Sopranos, but uh, but hasn't had a kind of acting role. That's good, isn't it? Well, thanks very much. Good to work Paul, from Paul Jackson. To Paul Jackson, if anybody's got any got any ideas, actually, if you just email Alex, so just at the word in your ear um, site or something, and then Alex can make sure that we get the we get the clues separately because we the whole it doesn't work if we if we both know what the what the questions. He sent a very sweet PS to his email. He said, "By the way, whenever I need a good giggle, I often listen back to the round that you once did, which was." Death metal band or IKEA furniture? If only to hear David Hepworth losing it. It's brilliant. He says apparently you just go, go to hysterics, and he says this cheers him up on a regular basis. So hurrah! Very well, uh, let's feel we're uh, performing yeah, yeah, public yeah. service in these difficult times. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So I've just got back from Holes in France with our little gang and the granddaughter. It's very exciting. And uh, we're all lying around in our little sun lounges around the pool, reading. And they're all reading. I say, reading quite improving stuff, actually. One of my sons was reading Flaubert. That's good work, isn't it? Crikey. So what, in French or...? Uh... No, in English. No, okay. in French. That would have okay. been good. But I'm, uh, I, I'm rather ashamed to say that I was rereading. I'm not ashamed at all because it, was, it seems lowbrow, but it's just... My contention is this, is this is, I think, the funniest memoir ever written. And it's Clive James' Unreliable Memoirs. I thought, you know, talking, I thought you were going to talk about Morrissey for a second. <laughs> but 
But no, okay, Clive James, unreliable. <laughs> the Morrissey one is pretty funny, actually. Isn't it? Oh lord, but not as funny as Clive James. Oh lord, which is the first. Well, it's the first volume, isn't it? Of his Morrissey, uh, the bit where he, where he doesn't win the running race at school, and his father sort of tells him he's a failure. Oh, it's frightful. No, and also the first six pages of the Morrissey book, I think, have no punctuation or, or no paragraph. Something oh, annoying, anyway. Dear. No, but. Um, no, the Clive James Unreliable Memoirs. It's got one gag really, and um, and that gag is massively exaggerate everything, isn't it? You take the truth. I mean, some of it's presumably fictional. I mean, he's just he's just got good stories and he's just telling them, but they're based on broadly on things that happened in his early life. But you, you just take anything and you just inflate it with as much hot air as possible. And the more exaggerated it gets, the more over the top, the funnier it gets. And I love that. Danny Baker's a bit like that, actually. Danny Baker's I think, quite influenced by him. And I really, really like that. There's a bit where, um, where he's eating this... Uh, he's, a, he's in a cinema and he's about six. They talk about all the different sweets they have. And he's eating this, this kind of honeycomb uh, chocolate, he said. And it would shatter into bright orange shrapnel. Just so lovely. <laughs> There's a Christmas dinner where his grandpa gets a sixpence stuck in his throat from the Christmas pudding. And uh, grandma administers a Heimlich manoeuvre. <laughs> and it flies out of his mouth like a bullet and ricochets off a tureen. <laughs> You just, you just, you just know it's, it's probably never happened. No, no, but, but Mark, no, that's the, 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 the mark of a master storyteller. There is the key word is I've put it to you, Millard. Well, there's two. It's Turin. It's Turin is the one is really. Funny. Can, it's just because brute. if, it, if can it, you hear a ping, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. What are you kidding? And of uh, course, I, I read it years ago when it when it first came out. How long ago is that? And oh I, God, it came out when he was forty. So would that be well? I'm probably about. Poor old boy passed away quite recently. So about forty years ago, nineteen eighty, yeah, around then, something yeah. like that. And I made the mistake that many people made of thinking they could read unreliable memoirs on the tube. Of course, you, you simply you couldn't, you because you would come to a bit that. No matter how surrounded you were with odiferous, you know, um, yeah. you know, commuters, you would just have to burst into laughter. And the bit they used to do it to me is, of course, the tale of the Dunny Man. Oh, the Dunny Man, fantastic. The Dunny Man who t- turns up to, to empty the contents of their lavatory, in, you know, in uh, in suburban Melbourne or wherever he is. And Clive, uh, age six or seven, has left war. his bike out, hasn't he? <laughs> And somebody trips every. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. But when I read the bit about the Dunny Man, I just burst out laughing on the Piccadilly line, absolutely crowded with fellow communities. And it still does it to me now if, oh, so if I have to read any of it. I couldn't wait to reread it. It's brilliant. And I mean, just a, a couple of little moments in it is, is when, when there's an accident involving the contents of the Dunny. And he says, uh, he says, the air was filled with a gravid hum. Gravid hum. He said, the flies came. He said, they came from all over Australia. <laughs> I got one more line, which I thought was just so, so it's, Sorry, it's the break. It's they came. They came. They yeah. came from, you know. From it's, all over Australia. It just I, builds it up. I don't know if anybody's had this. You know, I mean, you, your children, your boys are kind of storytellers. And certainly one of them is professionally a storyteller, isn't yeah. it? So he understands this. Mine, not quite the same. And they always used to say to me at school when they had to do creative writing or whatever, all that kind of nonsense, 
They used to say, it's all right for you, funny things happen to you. And I used to say, it's nothing no, it's not to do with whether anything funny happens to you. It's, it's about... to do with whether you can make it funny. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and he's, the great thing about Clive James, he never uses exclamation marks, which, is, which actually deflates anything, because it yes, says, I'm true. trying to be funny. You know, it's just yes, that lovely flat true. tone. Yes. It's a lovely flat tone, which I really like. Anyway, I'll give you one more, just one on. more. It's brilliant. When he's at school, he's at the, the Sydney Technical College, and he's in the sports team. And they win the Pepsi Cola Shield, and I just think it's such a good line. He says, "It didn't sound like much of an achievement. In fact, it was less of an achievement than it sounded, since the teams we defeated looked like pages from a UNESCO pamphlet about the ravages of vitamin deficiency." This <laughs> <laughs> is so great. <laughs> pages, pages, and from a pamphlet, every single syllable of that. Uh, the, is but it's also the ravages of vitamin deficiency. That's P.G. Woodhouse, isn't it? Pop yeah. the funny bit right at the end of yeah, the line. Absolutely. Yeah. So it builds up until you get to the end. Of you, you release the laughter at the end. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we're talking about holiday reading. And uh, I'll say what I was thinking about. And uh, you know that often the the greatest stuff I'm only reading is that it's the least exalted stuff possible. Actually, I, I kind of I I kind of I tend to read kind of heavy books during the year. On holiday, I don't really. I read no. light stuff very absolutely. Very, and I remember one holiday years ago, my wife and I had before children, and we were staying in, in Corfu, and uh, and it was about a mile walk to the nearest store. And I used to set off in the middle of the afternoon in the broiling heat and make my way to this this store where there would be a few provisions. And then there would be a, a, a sun-bleached spinner rack of imported fiction on which sat pretty much the entire collected works of Agatha Christie. Oh. And what I used to do is just buy one every afternoon and then go back and read it and have it finished by the same time the following That's afternoon. That's wonderful. And then I would just go up and buy another one, you know, Murder at the Vicarage or, you know, yeah. Mysterious Affair Styles or God knows what. And I just found it absolutely perfect. That know? is a dream. That's just a, that's how, you see, that's how holidays should be spent. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen, because we talked about it the other day, the, the, the Barack Obama summer reading list oh, and the music me. playlist. And he To which we say, Barack, oi, give us a break. Give us a break. It is <laughs> unbearable. It's the most achingly self-conscious thing. <laughs> Possibly arrived at with a team of experts oh, and advisors definitely, definitely. to make absolutely sure that every single thing ticks every single box imaginable. But it just looks so utterly jolly. You think, would you want to go on holiday if one of the books you packed was Why We're Polarised by Ezra Klein? I mean, I don't know. Would you? Or The Great Experiment, uh, Why Diverse de dem Democracies Fall Apart and How They Can Endure... That, uh, and how they can endure. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? No, you're not reading that in a deck chair. In a deck no. chair, you're reading... I'll tell you what, it was a really good recommendation years ago. I remember, dear, dear Matt Snow, I remember one saying oh, to yeah, him, yeah. I was about to come on holiday, and Matt was always good on books. I said, I want something to read on holiday. He said, oh, there's a book by called Thomas Harris called Red Dragon. Of course, that was the first Hannibal Lecter book. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I read that on holiday. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. 
Day of the Jackal. Those are kind of That's things the you want to read on holiday, you know. She's reading Bob Mortimer's memoir, you know, something like that. Or yeah. Lost in Music by Giles Smith being read for the 59th yes. time. So, that you know, kind of stuff is we brilliant. Don't, we don't need no improvement. No, we don't. But his, have you seen his music list? It's ridiculous, honestly. Oh, um, they, He's got the kind of standard stuff. He's got the kind of Prince, Al Green, Nina Simone. Tick, 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 tick. tick, tick, tick. tick. Aretha Franklin, Dave Brubeck. That's fine. He's got the kind of popular vote stuff. Beyonce, Wycliffe, Jack tick, White, tick, Harry Styles. Tick, and tick, then he's tick. got stuff that, I'm sorry, he cannot be listening to. Burner Boy, Wet Leg. I mean, Wet Leg, is he I really listening to Wet Leg? Well, what I are mean, these kids, baby? Well, Wet Leg, I just, Fat Boy Slim, Bad Bunny and Bomber Asterio. I don't know. Is I he, don't think so. That's I a Colombian rap, rap band with a, a, a Colombian rock band with, a, with, a, with an American rapper. I can't, is he really sitting on a sun lounger and, uh, and, uh, Availing himself of that, Is he, I doubt it. I think there was a time when he was regarded as the coolest man on the planet. And I think the more of these lists he puts out, yeah. the more he and has he thinks he does that try too hard. I know, I totally agree with he you. He doth try too hard. Yeah. Give, it, give it a rest, Obama. <laughs> the Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. Now, there are some podcasts that can't be bought. We can. It's quite <laughs> simple. Uh, very easily, absolutely, really easily. So you know, we've made an offer. If you're if you're one of our much valued Patreon supporters, and you happen to also be involved in the uh, production or marketing or whatever of some kind of desirable service, service, and we've uh, we've uh, you know in the past we've had the port uh, pies, the yeah. uh, port pies, sensational port pie from Norfolk. Yeah. Yes, but we also had the vegan snacks from Keith Adds. Oh, we have yeah, some yeah, St. Albans yeah. and so forth. And now we're delighted to say we finally got a beer. We're absolutely thrilled this is about exciting. this. We're gonna we're gonna open it on screen. We're gonna open carefully it. so it doesn't go all over the keyboard, actually. Okay, so, so shall I I'm gonna open I'm gonna open mine. Go on, Ooh, I'm going for mine. God. Actually, very sweetly, right. Simon and Ange of the Ink Spot in uh, in New, New Biggin by the Sea in Northumberland also sent me a glass. Did you get a glass? I got oh. a packet of peanuts, I got a full kit, packet of peanuts, I got some beer mats. Oh, I got beer nice. mats. I got beer mats. Um, That's I, good, I got a, good sound. I got, a, I got a woolly hat actually. Good sound effect. Uh, it's oh just, yeah, it's great. This this yes, beer is on. called uh, Hold Fast. It's from the Ink Spot, and it's called. It, they describe it as light, fruity, and refreshing. Okay. Oh, it is. That's cool. That's a summer ale. It is. Oh, very fruity. That's great. That's absolutely superb. Oh, God, fantastic. The perfect accompaniment for a, a P.G. Woodhouse novel, I'm saying. Yes. That's so really nice. Light and musical. <laughs> yeah. That's the ink spot, which is, I think it's fair to say, not quite a pub, isn't it? Because we, 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 we talked to um, Simon in the past, didn't we? We did, yeah. Uh, a it's, a kind of, it's kind of beer shop, isn't it? It's like, yeah. You know, it's a... Uh, it's only open certain days of the uh, of the week, and I don't think it's open until I think it closes at ten o'clock at night, so they don't have any trouble with kind of rowdy customers drifting in from a uh, from neighbouring pubs. I just noticed on this note you sent me, you said I thought you might appreciate a care package. I love that. This is a care package. We do appreciate. We do. A care so if anyone's got any amusing, uh, um, and ideally, um, uh, you know, um, consumable goods they want to send, please do. Cheers. So, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So while we're enjoying that, let's pay tribute to one of the one of the great heroes of Word in Your Ear, who passed away this last week. And who are we talking about? We're talking about the great Bernard Cribbins. And and we use the word great advisedly, don't we, Mark? Here, uh, we really do. I mean, it's funny. I was looking at all the obits, and I was genuinely upset because I just adored him as a kid. I mean, I absolutely adored him. And, I've, and he's also been going for, you know, active for 60, 70, 70 very, nearly, very nearly 80 years. He started when he was 12, you know. So everyone's got their own Bernard Cribbins. But it interesting, he was, he was described as the star of Doctor Who and Jack and Ori, in, in, I think, by The Guardian. And, yeah, yeah. and it was the Wombles, the carry on the railway trip children. And it reminded you that... that what unbelievable versatility that guy had. Absolutely. Wasn't it incredible? Because he started, I mean, family very, very badly off, and he got a job when he was 12 in the local theatre, he started acting, and you just had to learn to be versatile. There's a great clip, um, which we've talked about before, of Norman Wisdom and Bruce Forsyth on stage doing a kind of song and dance routine. Do you remember when they played the drums? Oh, the God, yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, there might even be some juggling involved, like some slapsticks, incredible. And it's the same thing. He could do absolutely everything. You know, he was that kind of um, soulful kind of non-comic turn in the in the Railway Children. He was in sci-fi movies. He was in he did slapstick parts in films. He, he was in Hitchcock's Frenzy. He did lots of Shakespeare. And every time he was asked if he'd like to do some Shakespeare, he said, I don't know, can I see the script? <laughs> Which is a really good joke. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so funny. But also he did vaudeville. You know, he used to come on, didn't he, on the good old days and do those amazing He was turns. sensational. Oh, my God. Go and, honestly, I, I, I know we all used to hate the good old days when our parents used to love watching yeah. it. And, make, uh, we, and now, if you see those clips, you know, those people just got up on those boards and they did those things with no special effects, no yeah. great choreography or anything. And a they lot were, of it improvised. It was raw talent that was. Yeah, and yeah. He was just, he's remarkable on that. I've got to share with you, a, uh, a, um, I posted a tweet saying that uh, after he died, that I, I, I met him at something not that long ago. 
It was, oh, right, it, was exactly. it was some kind of radio for I can't even remember what the thing was. He did loads of radio, and it was some drama or something. And it was Bernard Cribbins was one of the one of the cast, and he was going to be there. And I thought I've just got to go to this thing just to be in the same room as Bernard Cribbins. Absolutely. And uh, the end is he was it was he was ducking out. I can't. Even, I buttonholed him. I, I shook his hand. I, said, I just want you to thank you. You know for. Lifetimes worth of, of stuff, you know, and he was very, he was very sweet. But here's the interesting thing: he was in a hurry because he had a gig to go to. Of course. Now this is a guy in the latter half of his eighties at this yeah. stage. He was on his way to Nottingham, I think, to yeah. to do something to get on stage. And there's there's a, there was a saying in the in show business that if Cribbins isn't working, nobody's working. You know, oh, that's he was great. he was the kind of the bellwether. Anyway, I posted this on Twitter, and somebody, uh, somebody could, sadly is just called just a name. I, I do wish people use their names on Twitter. Anyway, says I was at a black tie event in Bristol. Back to the hotel bar afterwards, somebody undid my bow tie, and I didn't know how to do it back up. Bernard was holding court in the corner, excused himself, came over. Tied it back up for me, quick brush of my shoulder, and back he went. Fantastic. <laughs> and the, the point I Multi skilled. No, but here's the point that's what years in cabaret does for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you spend years in cabaret, a dinner jacket and a, and a black tie are your basic props. Basic aren't they? Kit, aren't they? That, Completely. That's, a, that's the sort of stuff that you did. And, um, and we should course, mention also what he did, the, the great. Comedy records. I mean, oh, they were right. phenomenal. I mean, you were saying the other day that he was the biggest selling artist on Parlophone until the Beatles. Is that right? I think he yeah, was. Yeah. Cause he yeah. had three singles that year: he had Right Side Freddy, and Hole in the Ground, Gossip Calypso. And I, I still contend Hole in the Ground, which was everyone always mentions that because Noel Coward, in his Desert Island Discs, said it was the greatest comedy record ever made. And he chose that out of, all, out of all the things he wanted to keep. That was the one, wasn't it? And I think what's so amazing about that were well, lots of things. One. It's under two minutes long, which is extraordinary. Two, it's full of those sound effects. Three, incredible melody and arrangement. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful comedy slapstick instruments, you know. And it tells the story, doesn't it? A brilliant story. Um, in that, in that, in, in, a, in, a, in you know, one and a half minutes tells the story. It's the class conflict. You know, the working class guy digging the hole, the toff telling him not to dig it there. And based on the central gag, that people used to think that workmen just dug holes randomly without any purpose. Do you know what I mean? Just to give themselves some kind of employment. <laughs> and the idea you could say, you're, don't put the hole there, you should be putting it over there. Yeah. <laughs> it was so brilliant. It's got some great lines in it. One line, he's, he says, with the, bowl, the guy at the top with the bowler hat kind of gives him a hard time. He says, uh, so he says I gave him a look sort of sideways and I leaned on my shovel and sighed. Well, I lit me a fag, and having took a drag, I replied. Oh, that is a brilliant that line. Brilliant. Do you think? It's fantastic. Well, he, he is brilliant, but also the other thing about it is is a brilliant record. Oh, and yeah. That, and that's where George Martin begins to do something that he that became really important with the Beatles. It's what you might call post-production. Yeah. Is that you didn't, the record wasn't finished when the, when the, the singer had left the studio. That's when you started, and the you know it was he put on those sound effects and all that kind of stuff yeah. later on, you know. So he, it's a piece of perfection, both that record and Right Side Fred, absolute oh, perfection. Right Side Fred as well, because you you it's a very clever gag because that's also 
working class take yeah, the piss yeah. out of you know because yeah. what the the thing that they're moving must be a piano you're never told what it is but it's <laughs> the thing what held the candles you yes. know is it and and yeah. uh, and the handles and all that you know so it must be a piano but in in moving the piano they they completely destroy the toffs house and thoroughly enjoy doing it it's just a genius idea so anyway bernard cribbins and uh, and you know the the ink spot of new begin uh, cheers. 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 God bless you. You're listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. Okay, it's been my birthday this week, Mark, and uh, and some of my, my kids have just been around, and one of them gave me this framed uh, uh, press cut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> from, from Private Eye a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if anybody saw this. Spoof page in Private Eye. Spoof news page. Thousands gather to worship ancient stones by our old rock correspondents, Mark Elder and Dave Hipworth. There we are. I was very and touched a, by that. And a spoof story. It's about a bit the like appearing in in Sood's Corner or something. You know, it's something that you've you know. To, to, it's one of those great achievements you have to tick off in life, isn't it? Uh, was it? Is it just coincidence that that um, that appeared in Private Eye just after we've been talking to Ian Hislop at the Chalk Valley Festival? It might. Have, it's possible. Was, actually, yeah. <laughs> it did. But anyway, did it? So there we are. Yeah. There we are. My my children were sufficiently thrilled about it to to cut it out and get it framed. That's really nice. Um, so anyway, Bob Dylan. What were you saying about Bob Dylan? Well, Dylan, it is sixty years ago on August the second. Next week, i.e., we're recording this on the Sunday, um, that Dylan changed his name legally by, by deed poll, which I think is a very significant event, actually. Yeah. yeah Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Middle class boy from Hibbing, Minnesota, you know, his, his dad had run a furniture and appliances store, gone to high school. Kind of middle class, wasn't he? Kind of lower middle class, kind of, um, you know, vaguely respectable background. Reinvented himself totally into this freewheeling dust bowl refugee in his 1920s clothes and his kind of a string belt, and reinvented a complete. He wrote his own press releases, didn't he? Uh When he signed up, he said he was going to write his own press releases. It was just all about circuses and riding boxcars and just you know his whole. All he wanted to talk about in interviews was was that the hot, as he says in his, his autobiography, says the hot stories for me were from the 1920s, you know, the sinking of the Titanic and things like that. He just totally just freed himself from that idea that he came from this fairly conventional family in, in Hibbing. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because there were a load of other people who did the same sort of thing by changing their name. Grace Slick It's another one, I think. Grace Slick's dad was a... I worked for an investment banking yes, firm. Yes, she was very prosperous. Really prosperous, you know. She's she went to all the poshest and most prestigious uh, private schools, yeah. colleges, you know, and then just reinvented herself totally as Grace Slick. Alice Cooper, you could say the same. Marilyn Manson, Heritage Christian School, you know. Um, Sid Vicious, these people who just became somebody completely different or legitimised being someone different. Freddie Mercury, Meatloaf. Iggy Pop's a really good example. Iggy Pop was actually quite a straight kid, I think. Yeah. Right up until the end, you know. Uh, Ron Asherton always said that he hung out with all the kids that wore chinos and cashmere sweaters and penny loafers. He was kind of well-behaved. There's lots of pictures of him with button-down tab-collar shirts and ties and uh, getting lots of awards for, um, you know, for, for, for educational excellence. And then just suddenly became Iggy Pop and went off at a, at a tangent. On the subject of Dylan, do we know... 
if he told his parents that he was going to change his name. Oh, that's interesting. It. Because that's about as kind of um, difficult a thing you could confront a parent with. Yeah, I'm dumping the family name. I've decided. You have to explain I, why you were doing. I, I'm dumping your name. Your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The name you gave me. I'm not going to be called Tom Allen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be called Tom Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how well you'd take it. No, no. I think you'd be shaken. Anyway, well, I talk about Bob Dylan. I happened to to hear a Bob Dylan song this week. I hear a Bob Dylan song most weeks. And it's a song I kind of quite like, but, you know, just occasionally one of these things falls upon the ear in such a fashion that you think, what? What are those words about? You know, and there's always a part of me that, that, that um, you know, I kind of, I, I, uh, you know, I look quizzical when people t- start talking about, you know, rock musicians getting Nobel Prizes for literature and so forth, knowing the knowing the way that uh, rock lyrics are knocked out, you know. And, uh, and this is a kind of classic case, and I'm going to read it to you, Mark Allen, OK? OK. You will instantly recognise it because it starts as follows. Oh, the streets of Rome are filled with rubble. Ancient footprints are everywhere. You could almost think that you're seeing double on a cold, dark night on the Spanish stair. Now, the, the streets of Rome are not filled with rubble, no, are they? No. They're not at all. They're filled with fiats, you know, if you're yeah. looking for something, you know. Got to hurry on back to my hotel room where I got me a date with a pretty little girl from Greece. That's not a date, is it? <laughs> Wait. If she's waiting for you in your hotel room, this does not qualify as a date, does no, it? No, it's, no. it's what used to be known as on a promise. Which is <laughs> slightly, slightly different thing. Anyway, she promised she'd be there with me when I paint my masterpiece. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, the hours we spent inside the Colosseum dodging lions and wasting time. Oh, there's mighty kings of the jungle. I could hardly stand to see him. Well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it sure has been a I long, hard drive. the rhyme that's coming. And the worst, the single worst middle eight in the history of Bob Dylan is coming up. Sailing round the world in a dirty gondola. Oh, to be back in the land of Coca-Cola. Oh, Lord. You know, for goodness sake. No, that's poor, isn't it? That jars. <laughs> it's terrible. There's a couple that I always used to know me. One was a tiny one on the otherwise absolutely flawless John Wesley Harding album, where he says, as I went out on As I Went Out One Morning, he says, Depart from me this moment. I told her with my with voice. My, with my voice. With my voice. I told her with my yes. voice. Because he just wanted to rhyme with, oh, I don't wish to, ah, but you have no choice. I, yeah, that is that. weak. I told her with my voice. Sorry, that's bad. There's it another is. one on Bob Dylan's 115th Dream, where he says, uh, I asked the captain, uh, the captain, what his name was, and how come he didn't drive a truck, and he said his name was Columbus, and he just said, "Good luck." And he just, he's just working back from good luck. Absolutely, it? it's, oh dear. it's you know, there's there's always a part of every Bob Dylan lyric where you get in the third verse where they think he's just thinking, "Will this do? Can Will I get do? to the end?" You know, Will this do? I've I've finished. You know, I know. Um, I know. No, one more is is that if you ever want to go back and revisit some of the the lowest points, I think it's "Man gave names to all the animals." 
Do you remember that? And there's a verse about each animal. And one of them says, he saw an animal leaving a muddy trail, real dirty face and a curly tail. He wasn't too small and he wasn't too big. <laughs> ah, I think I'll call it a pig. <laughs> it's hardly real. This is the man who wrote, uh, you know, this is the man who wrote, um, uh, oh, good Lord. I mean, um, you know, Blind Willie Mattel. Yeah, you know, yeah, fantastic, yeah. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a strong. Anyway, we all have bad days. The Word Podcast, two cocoa tins and a piece of string. And we're joined by Alex Gold. Uh, hello, hello, Alex. Any other business? Hi. Hello. Um, Alex is on an ocean liner off the coast of Alaska giving the population his uh, world-famous John Lennon. Uh, <laughs> not not too late to book, ladies and gentlemen, for next year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not taking the mickey. I'm not remotely. I'm still so impressed that someone could make a very gainful living. You get yeah. out in the morning and being, pretending to be a Beatle in a band all day. Brilliant. Absolutely. So we always turn to Alex for, uh, well, we want the mysteries of being in a rock band to be explained to us in some way. And uh, one thing that crossed our path this week was the strange sight of a member of, of Pearl Jam doing something that I thought had kind of completely gone by the wayside years ago, which is smashing a guitar on the stage at the end of a tour. Is that right, Alex? Was that I think it was in Amsterdam or something like this. Can you tell us anything yeah. further? Uh, well, all I know about smashing guitars really is that once upon a time it was the ultimate act of uh, intellectual rebellion. There was an element of artsiness about it, wasn't there? Because Pete Townsend's whole shtick was influenced by, was it Gustav Metzger, the auto-destructive artist? Oh, yeah, very good. Auto-destruction, that's right, yeah, that's right. So he'd use corrosive paint, for example, and all that kind of carry on, and Townsend was trying to emulate that, but in the musical sphere. Uh, so there was an element of you know um, of braininess about it, but also it was a it was a big middle finger to the man, wasn't it? The man, um, yeah. But in in the twenty first century, it just kind of feels like a like a waste of trees, which we're trying to save. You know, um, there's, there doesn't seem to be any point at all when you see a very well off musician smashing a guitar. You just think. You don't really think an awful lot about but, it. But what are they what doing? Are I mean, yeah, but well, yeah, I mean, nobody is smashing a valuable instrument on stage, are they? Are they? Is anybody? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Doing I don't know. I, th I think that was a cheap guitar. Um, I, I, look, I, you won't catch any up-and-coming bands smashing their equipment on stage. No, Let's put it that enough. way. Someone like Pearl Jam, who can sell out an arena, they, they you know, it's it's not going to hurt them too much. And there's still probably a part of them that thinks it's a it's a it's a major act of subversion. 
But um, to my eyes, at least, it just looks a little bit pathetic. It's, you know, especially when you're past a certain point in life. You but know. They, this um, is it. That's the thing. We have to keep remain, reminding ourselves that the members of Pearl Jam are in the mid-50s. <laughs> Isn't that right? They, yeah. you know, it must the be member, a moment where it's undignified. The members of Pearl Jam have all, have all at some stage in their life had to take a teenager into a room and say, now look, <laughs> pull yourself together, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or tell them where babies come from or all those rites of passage that you go through when you become an adult, you know. And uh, it's very difficult to go back to, to get smashing a guitar, isn't it, after that? It's the thing that struck me. There's something a little bit ungainly about it after you've passed the age of 25, I feel. It's not... Yeah, it's not quite so, right. So you've but, never done it, Alex. I want to know if is it oh, yeah. physically. Oh, you broke the. No, oh, you have. Oh, 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 yeah. I went through a massive phase of it. So when I, I discovered Tony Fledger's Keith Moon book um, in the pages of Q, actually, and I went to W. H. Smith and I would sit in the aisle every week and read a chapter while my friends went to the skate park, and then I borrowed ten pounds off my friend Dickie Island so I could buy it, and I read the rest of the book at home, became obsessed with the Who, <clears throat> and uh, and I started. Well, I started smashing up drum kits. That was the first thing. Um, and after every gig, I'd, I'd boot whatever drum kit I was playing over. I remember playing Stratford upon Avon bandstand once with my school band, booting the guy whose drum kit I was but using. But were you very careful to over. do it without with, uh, causing the minimum amount of damage? Because I, I read something about Pete Townsend. I think Pete Townsend is the first, but I think he invented it actually, didn't he? Isn't that right? In the it, uh, yeah, accidentally. In the so railway the, town the railway in 1964, it was. He put it through a way. And he put, put it through, the, put the neck of the guitar, it was a very low ceiling through the and ceiling. The crowd and the just... started cheering, and he went, yeah. oh, hang on, there's something in this. And something he, in and this. And he started doing it regularly. But from then on, no, I think he was very careful is... not to break the necks of the guitar. He'd only break the side bits, which could be repaired. Is yeah, that so right? he could bolt them all back together. Yeah. So he did it very, very methodic way. I mean, I was too young and too stupid to realise, really. So I just, you know, all, 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 I, all, all that was going through my brain was that I am being Keith Moon. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I look back now, I'm kind of horrified, really. I mean, I never meant to, you know, to to cause any harm, of course. But, um, you know, you just don't think when you're younger. But um, I, was, I, was I, did, reading... I, I went through a phrase with... Go on. I was reading not long ago about when The Who first went to the United States. They were on, as were many uh, British groups who went to the United States in the mid-60s, they were put on these bills that would play theatres in, in New York where they would do like seven shows a day or something like that. It would start at lunchtime and go on to the evening and there'd be about six acts, you know, and all, all of them would do two numbers or three numbers or whatever. And the Who were one of these acts, you know. They, they, they were, you know, and they. I think they did three numbers, and and one of them was My Generation, which of course had to climax with the destruction of the of the drum kit, with the drum kit coming up, pretty much coming off the stage, you know, falling apart. And then you're now, back on again in a few hours. <laughs> no, but absolutely, no, because what happened was that then they would start again the next show, and so I don't know. The Caravels or Paul Revere and the yeah. Raiders will be coming on next. And in the background will be Keith Moon frantically putting back together yeah. the drum kit that he just he'd, he'd blown apart in order to be able to do the same exactly thing, same thing again. in 15 minutes' time when they when they came came along, along again. So showbiz. Yeah, absolutely. It's all showbiz. This podcast was brought to you by the word. Hey. 